Merry Christmas from the Church in Action program, where we believe making disciples who do justice and foster unity is the primary mission of the church. This Christmas, we're taking a break from our normal conversations to share one of our favorite episodes on foster care ministry here in New England with Jonathan Reed. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Charles Galda, president of Vision New England and your host for the Church in Action program, where we talk with New England leaders about making disciples who disadvantage themselves for unity and to do justice, which opens doors to sharing Jesus, and that transforms lives in our world. This week, I'm talking with Jonathan Reed. Jonathan is the executive director and founder of Fostering Hope based in Providence, Rhode Island. Jonathan, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So let me start with the question of, uh, is, is it unjust that a child not that a child grow up not in a two, loving two-parent fa- family household? And if so, why? Mm. Well, there's no question that part of God's original design is that a child would grow up in the context of a a safe, loving family. So much important developmental uh, things happen in those early years in that context. Uh, In in our work at Fostering Hope, we're really even thinking about a more fundamental question of justice that's related. uh, And that is the question of a child needing uh, a family at all. Um, we believe deeply that it's unjust that we as a society would remove a child from his or her home because we deem that that home is at least temporarily unable to provide safe and and loving care for the child, uh, but then not have a safe alternative for the child. So we, we take the child out of their home and maybe that's the right decision, but then, sorry, we have no alternative prepared for you. And that's an issue of, of clear injustice that really drives much of what we do. In fact, our vision we call Project Zero. It's the dream of a day when zero kids are waiting for a safe, supported family. Um, we want to flip that script so that instead of kids waiting uh, for a family to care for them, either temporarily or permanently, uh, it's the, the families that are raised up willing and able uh, to care for them. So it may be a sad, tragic reality that children have to be removed from a home sometimes. Uh, and we're not saying that shouldn't be the case. But what I hear you saying is, but then there's a responsibility of believers who are told to do justice to ensure there's safe, adequate, caring housing and relationships for that child to go into. Did I, did I catch you right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, scripture goes so far as to describe caring for kids in need of families as one of the authenticating marks that a Christian community has experienced genuine repentance, Isaiah 1, and is practicing genuine religion or worship, James 1.27. And so uh, it, it is absolutely is a calling on us uh, to be leading the way towards making sure that need is met. Tell me, when, when we're talking about kids in foster care, are we talking about kids who are in a foster home with a foster parent or parents? Are we talking about group homes, both or something different? Yeah, so right now there's about 425,000 kids in our country living in the foster care system, which means they're either living, um, they've been removed from their primary biological caregiver and placed with a family outside of that original family unit. It could be an extended family member, which they call kinship foster care, it could be in uh, just a, you know, your 
what you think of when you think of a foster family, a family receiving kids into their home, or yes, group homes um, where they're spending time in what's called congregate care. Um, in, in New England, there's about 24,000 kids in the system. 25% uh, of them about will need to be adopted. Uh, and about four to 5% will end up aging out of the system um, without permanency, reunification or adoption. Um, now, when you hear those numbers, it's easy to reduce the kids to a statistical category. It's a big number um, and it can be very distant and abstract, but we have to remember that every one of those kids in New England foster care, all 24,000 is an individual one, an individual person uniquely created by God in his image and therefore possesses a dignity and a value that you know, we believe it's not only worthy of our care, but really demands our care as people who value the, the sanctity of every life. And so I'll just round it and say 25,000 kids in New England are, now you said a quarter of them though, will need to be adopted. The others won't. Do you mean a quarter will get adopted and the others just won't get adopted? Or do you mean there's some reasons those kids would not be adopted? So about 70, 75% of kids who are in care now will reunify with their biological parents. And let me just say, as an organization, it's really important for us as we work with churches um, that we highlight and prioritize the desire to see as often as possible the family that this child ends up in to be their family of origin, uh, either through family preservation on the front end or through safe, timely reunification. God's heart and design is for families to be able to be together and that should be our heart as Christians. And, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing to see so many Christians getting into the foster care movement who have a heart to support uh, reunification and even develop relationships with biological family as much as they can and become part of their life. That's a beautiful thing. The 25% are those situations where reunification doesn't end up possible. And so those kids will need to find an adoptable family. So right now there's plenty of kids in the system who whose parental rights have been terminated of their, of their parents and they're literally waiting for someone to to open up their home and provide a forever family and if i'm doing my math right that's four thousand kids right who are adoptable we'll call it that for lack of a better term maybe unless you have a better term <laughs> yeah, they're, they're on the adoption track either they're as i just said their rights have already been terminated or they're on track for that and that's that's the plan. Um, and they're, they're going to need a family. And so why, given the Christian exhortation, not just in James, but in plenty of other places, why are there any kids waiting for adoption in the system? That is a great question. And uh, can you tell I grew up Irish Catholic and I know about <laughs> guilt? <laughs> well, it's funny you ask that because, you know, most states have what they call recruiters who are paid to um, as a full time job to go find families in the state of Massachusetts, where we do the most of our work currently. Uh, they've gone they've done an amazing job investing in recruiters. They went from basically zero. Now they have twenty nine recruiters, each representing one of the area offices. And that's their job. And we love them. They're one of our um, greatest partners in our work is to work with them. But honestly, I don't believe that there should be a need for recruiters as a society at large. And just from the Christian community, I feel like um, 
in light of what you just said, uh, the many passages that call us to this, and the most compelling reason is our own experience of God's love uh, personally. You know, the, the logic behind the Christian call to engage in this kind of ministry is since Jesus moved toward us in our place of need, entered into our uh, affliction to meet us at our greatest point of need, we who've experienced that kind of love and grace, including being adopted into God's family uh, as his children and Jesus being our elder brother, we who've experienced that are compelled by it to be the kind of people who move toward others who enter into affliction in order to, uh, you know, engage in sacrificial love. And so but that being the case, you know, in my, my opinion is, yes, as long as there's a need, as the Christian community discovers the, the need, we should be knocking on the door of the child welfare agencies saying, we heard there's kids who need families. What do we need to do to help meet that need? Um, and that it's, could happen. We could meet that need if we did it. It's interesting because I have observed that, uh, and it was it was surprising to me just how many pastors in New England uh, foster or adopt, um, and when they do, then it's clearly a bigger thing in their church, right? And you have lots of other families doing the same thing. But I think for most of us, we've never heard a sermon on our need to foster, to support those who do or adopt. And maybe it's too soft, and I missed it. <laughs> But it seems like we don't talk about it enough in the church. Is that is that fair? Or is that really more of my background? I think that's true, uh, but I think it's changing. And one of our great joys is to see so many churches beginning to step into this story and to uh, very intentionally begin to talk about it and to um, do what really is the heart of our ministry is to come alongside churches to help them make service to this community, a more sustainable part of the DNA of their church. And I think a lot of churches are starting to recognize, okay, we want to make a difference in our community. We want to serve the vulnerable around us, but where do we start mm. and who's a population to begin with? And, you know, when it comes to children who need families, we don't really have to think about that. I mean, that's a biblical category that we're called specifically to care for. Um, and the beautiful thing about entering this space is, um, Kids in foster care or the foster care system in general is really at the crossroads of virtually every system issue that exists. So you're having this series on issues of justice, and I'm sure you're going to be talking about a lot of different issues. Virtually everyone you will cover at the crossroads are families impacted by those issues and children in those families who may have to be removed temporarily from those families because of some of the issues surrounding justice. And so it's really a beautiful centering issue as you begin to engage the foster care system and build bridges to all the people who are part of that, it opens up a lot of other opportunities to uh, impact these other issues of justice as well. So it's it's a it's a pretty wide ranging uh, issue. It, it's interesting, and and so help help me a little bit. If uh, how do I get involved in fostering? Is it is there a standard process? Is it very significantly by state? Where do I go if I if I'm hearing this and thinking and want to more information? So you're talking about an individual person? Yeah. Says, okay. Yeah. Um, so there's two things I'd say. First of all, and, I, and I'll plug this because I think this is the foundation. If you're part of a church community, uh, aside from you personally being involved. Um, we would really encourage you to, to begin to think about what would it look like for our church community to become more intentional about making this part of the DNA of who we are. We already have a culture. We already have things that are important to us. But if there really are kids 
in our community, right in our backyard who need families? Shouldn't we be doing something and what can we do? And start that conversation. And of course, we would be happy to, to um, come alongside you and, and offer support. It's what we love to do. Uh, if you're an individual who's saying, my heart is for this. And by the way, George Barnard did some really interesting research. It's a little bit dated uh, now. It's maybe eight years old. But nationally, he found that 31 to 38% of practicing Christians have seriously considered foster care or adoption. And about two and a half to 3%, up to 5% have done it, which is really high in comparison to the general population. So Christians are more engaged and more interested in more thinking about this than the you know general population. But that's still a big gap between the 31 to 38 percent who thought about it and the the three to five who've done it. So we know that there's a lot of Christians out there who are doing just what you said. They're thinking about it. And for many different reasons, they're, we find a lot of times they're waiting for the right time. And there's always a reason why it's not the right time. It's never a perfect time. But in the meantime, while we wait for the right time, there's kids in the system waiting for a family. And yeah. so um, there's there comes a point where we just have to take that step. So that was a long way to get to your your question, which is what what do you do? Well, depends where you are in the process. If you're still exploring and need more information, it's a couple of things you can do. Number one, if you know a foster family within your church community or the extended Christian community around you, ask them to if you could have a, a call or sit down over coffee and just ask them about their experience and get more information from someone who's involved in it. Um, there's certainly a lot of resources online that you can research as well. We would be happy to sit down and, and talk with you and answer any questions you have about the process and maybe those questions that are, you know, you're afraid to ask, but they're important to you. Um, yeah. uh, we, we would be happy. So you can go to our website, fosteringhope.org, and there's a contact form and reach out and, and someone will reach out to you. Beyond that, if you know I'm ready for the next step, yes. Um, your child welfare agency in your community will have a very clear process. They often have information sessions that they advertise where they open up to the community and they'll kind of get the ball rolling by attending one of those info sessions um, and tell you all about the process and give you an opportunity to actually apply. If you know you're ready to apply, you can just kind of skip the info session process and go right to the application and a social worker will reach out to you and get the ball rolling. Um, yeah, I, I remember even Connecticut did a session. I don't know how often they do it, but they did a session for church people who want to, who are thinking about fostering. Right. So they'll tailor it. Yeah, um, we have in some cases. Absolutely. And we often do info sessions with churches as part of a step. Um, and sometimes in collaboration with multiple churches in a region. In fact, we have a foster care and adoption seminar, a little plug coming up on April 30th at uh, being hosted at one of our partner churches in Haverhill, Mass, West Church um, on that uh, Sunday, Saturday, which will explore the different ways to in, engage. And we're, we've invited folks from Child Welfare in to explain the process on both adoption and foster care. So there's a lot of ways to find information out. Uh, absolutely. And if you can't find that event, let us know. Uh, just reach out to Vision New England. You can find emails on our site. We'll get you connected to it too. Um, and so what are, so I'm thinking about it. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit called, a little bit convicted. Um, what support infrastructure is there out there for me? And what are some of the challenges I just need to understand before I go get too deep? 
Yeah, it is important to go in with your eyes wide open. And a lot of people have a fairy tale kind of view of what it would be like to, you know, have a child come into their home who needs needs a temporary family. Um, and it's important to know that you're entering into a very complex system, you know, a child welfare system that's um, uh, d- does a lot of great things every day to care for vulnerable families, but, you know, have way more caseloads uh, on their plate than they can, um, th- than is healthy for them to have. Um, you've got uh, family courts, you've got therapeutic and medical systems, and then you've got children in your home who've experienced some type of trauma uh, in their past that is having an effect on their development and oftentimes presents itself in some behaviors and emotions that can be challenging. So all that leads to a, a lot of um, uh, unique stressors that can be uh, hard for foster families. So it's important to know that. And that's why talking to people who are involved and preparing well will help you enter into the space uh, with success. DCF will provide you obviously with a social worker. They'll provide you with training on the front end as part of the licensing process. You will get a stipend from DCF to help pay for the costs of having a child in your care. You will have access to uh, health, state health care for the child you're caring for, uh, support groups, those kinds of things. So there, there are resources available to support you uh, through child welfare agencies, um, but it's important to think well about it on the front end. And, and it sounded like I was, I can't remember which state I was looking at, but after we talked the first time, I just started doing a little exploring and you, you could see that, you know, they'll, they give you the stipend is intended to cover education. So there's an education one, there's uh, food, there's clothing, there's medical care. So, so they're trying to do it. I don't know how generous that stuff is across states, but they're trying to do it. So it's not a financial drain for you because there's obviously other commitment you have to make. Is that did I kind of read yeah. that stuff right? Yeah, that's fair. And and I would say that monthly stipend doesn't necessarily cover the full total of, you know, the cost that you would maybe invest, but it does. It, it definitely is a huge help and is meant to do that. Now, now, what are some of the things I should be prepared for that I might not be thinking about if I'm not too deep into the, t- into the space? Yeah, I think the number, the two biggest things. Uh, so, so there is a high turnover rate nationally among foster families. Uh, some studies show up to 50% don't continue into their second year, not because they don't want to do foster care, because they just spent a lot of time preparing to be a foster parent, uh, but because of three things. One, frustration with the very complex system. Number two, lack of personal relational support in their life, a sense that I'm in this alone and Mm -hmm. I need help. And then number three, a lack of training specific to the trauma-related needs that kids uh, often have. And so as an organization, we uh, have some programming that really focuses on those second two. Uh, now we're trying to build bridges and support the foster care system in tangible mm-hmm. ways. And our churches are doing an amazing job supporting their local uh, child welfare uh, agencies and social workers. Uh, but we have one program that we help churches establish wraparound support teams uh, that provide relational support for fostering and adoptive families in an accountable way. And some research has shown that when families have that kind of wraparound support, uh, the number that continues into year two goes from about 50% to upper 80s, low 90s, because they're, they're not doing it alone. And that's something the church is so good at. That's, yeah. that's, that should be our bread and butter. Uh, one another ministry. What, what are a couple of examples of wraparound services then that churches are providing? So we, we have a formal uh, program called Support One that identifies uh, particular roles that people on a team would have. And so one would be an encourager 
who taps into their spiritual gift of encouragement to just speak life and encouragement into the family in real tangible, practical ways. Another one is the helper, finding practical ways to just tangibly help the family and lighten their load. So for example, hey, what's a, a couple nights of the month that are really hard for you? Extra appointments, people in your home, would a meal help on that night? We'll make sure that every month you can count on a meal that night um, mm -hmm. or other types of tangible helps. And then the number one thing that families need is childcare support yeah. so that um, we, we want our families to have at least two nights or timeframes a month where they can count on having coverage so that they can, if they're married, have date nights to kind of prioritize their marriage um, or maybe be part of a community group or just run errands or go to the beach and meditate, whatever you want to do. Um, and those things in some total, while each one might be small, they're really powerful ways of supporting a family. And here's the really cool thing. It provides a real on-ramp for other people in the church who say, I, I have a heart for kids in foster care, but I just can't foster right now. Is there anything I can do? Oh, I could support a foster family in an organized way. I'd love to do that. And it in empowers people in the church who sees that to say, oh, if I'm going to be supported like that, maybe I can take the courageous step of being a foster family. And one last little detail, about 35% of people who serve on a wraparound team end up becoming a foster or adoptive family because they become so close to the kids and they see um, this in action that they say, why am I not doing this. And so they take that next step, which is a real powerful thing. Well, it's the same old story. We've seen it over and over again, and it's in the Bible, right? Is when we disadvantage ourselves to serve and love others, we're blessed too. Yes. Right. And that's going to make me want to step in more. And so I heard three spaces. I heard adoptive care we need to be thinking about. I've heard fostering is something we need to be thinking about. And I've heard wraparound services are things we need to be thinking about and questioning whether God is calling and convicting me to do something personally in this space. Did I capture yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part of it. So uh, when we get to, when we work with churches, we, we're about culture, right? We, we want to, we have the motto, not everyone can do everything or the same thing, but everyone can do something meaningful. So a big part of our work for churches who really want to make this part of the culture is help them establish multiple entry points for people to be able to step into the story at a place that aligns with their current gifting and capacity. So there's, there's service-based opportunities that meet tangible needs of, of professionals and families in the foster care community, but that are real low commitment, right? Uh, donating to a drive for clothing, participating in a service event one weekend that blesses the community. That's easy entry point. Prayer, being part of a prayer team. Then there's wraparound support or other types of engagement that's a little bit higher level of commitment. And then there's the highest level, which is inviting kids into your home. So we invite individuals to think about what's your fit in foster care. And then we invite churches to say, hey, every church can do something. So what can we as a church do based on our size, our location, our resources, our vision and mission? Um, and that's a big part of it. And I heard you say one thing Fostering Hope wants to do, because I want to make sure we get, get in there all the things you do. One thing Fostering Hope does is if you're interested in pursuing this, you can contact us and you're going to help me through that process. You're caring for, supporting, and loving the uh, DCF workers around New England. Um, and what else do you do? So, and we, well, we do, um, one of our big uh, programs now is also providing evidence-based trauma-informed caregiver training for caregivers and professionals. We've introduced uh, about a thousand caregivers and professionals over the last few years to 
practical knowledge and tools about how to provide healing care for kids who've experienced trauma. So that's become a big part of it. And we also do that with churches, helping lead churches to become what we call trauma wise so that Mm -hmm. as they invite their families to step into foster care, their, their children's and youth ministry really is a safe place for them. And so that's a big part of it. But let me just say, um, you know, our operational vision is that every child welfare office in new England would have a network of churches around them committed to serving the need in their own community, taking ownership of who are the kids in our community who need families, who are the social work uh, professionals who need support and encouragement, and how can we do that as individual churches, doing our own kind of finding our own place, but then as a network of churches together um, collaborating for greater impact. And it's been really powerful to see um, what the churches have been doing and how receptive child welfare has been to their engagement. I, I was going to say exactly that. Uh, just as we wrap up, the what we have this vision sometimes or perception sometimes when we're Christians that government doesn't like us, and there's some reasons why people have that, and it's not entirely unfounded. But when we collaborate with government to help them do the things they're doing that they're just not resourced and capable of doing all, suddenly they love us and they welcome us in, even though they disagree with us on so many things. And it, it sounds like that's your experience too. Yeah, absolutely. On both sides, there can be skepticism. And as we get to know each other and see each other as real people, and as the church has come with a real humble posture with no agenda other than we're here to love, serve, and support. And uh, it's it's been remarkable. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us and sharing this, but thank you for the ministry too. Uh, and if uh, and I'd like to thank our, our producer, Jessica Mangano. I'd like to thank our listeners. If you feel called and convicted um, or just questioning It's Fostering Hope. And what's the URL? Where's the website, Jonathan? Fosteringhope.org. There you go. Fosteringhope.org. If you have any trouble finding it, let us know and we'll get you connected. Uh, When we are the people of God doing the work of God in our communities, it transforms lives and and the world. And you can visit us at visionnewengland.org for past episodes, other resources, and to click donate to partner with us to accelerate evangelism in New England. Our program is brought to you by our friends at the Luis Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you, and thanks for listening.